This is the Social Justice Education Network podcast. Thank you for joining us today. With this episode, we're kicking off our month that is focused on broken systems. Our first episode will be focusing on healthcare, in particular, HIV and AIDS care, and the gaps inside the system. I was joined today by Angela Felton Coleman. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, here we go. another episode of the Social Justice Education Network podcast. As always, this is your host, Emilia Herrera, and I am joined by a very special guest, Angela Felton Coleman. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, So this entire month is all about broken systems. I don't think, I don't want to talk about, um, I think when people hear broken, it's the idea that, oh, this this just kind of happened. And I think that you can offer some unique perspective and maybe not just how it happened, but who are the people that are being affected by it? And what are the conscious choices that people made to develop the system? Um, so your your field uh, is one that I feel like hit popularity um, really in, in the sense of it was a scare. It was a public scare. And now it's something that has calmed down a little bit, but it has a lot of stigma. So would you like to explain... Um, what your specialty is? Well, um, to get right to the point, my specialty is HIV, so um, human immune deficiency syndrome, or you know, HIV AIDS. And I, I agree in that. I think you know when it first hit thirty years ago. Can't believe it's been thirty years, but thirty years ago, you know, our President Reagan didn't really talk about it. He never said anything about it publicly. And then it was all these people started dying and. They thought it just affected one section of the population. And, you know, sadly, when they thought it just affected gay men, I feel there really wasn't a lot that was being done. But then when we realized that it was affecting everybody, you know, crossing socioeconomic boundaries, didn't matter if you're gay, straight, whatever, male, female, then I think that's when it became the real scare. That's when everyone got scared, when they realized anybody could get HIV. And now I think it's not as publicized as it used to be. It's still there. The numbers are still there. The numbers are still growing, unfortunately. And for something that's 100% preventable, I can't believe how how much the numbers are still growing and how many patients we still see every day. I don't want to put words in your mouth since Mm -hmm. this is your field. Um, Because a few things that I know when I think of healthcare systems, uh, whether it's insurance or whether it's access to healthcare, there's some things that I think, oh yeah, I think that's broken. Um, But in your words, what are the broken parts um, that exist right now? I think it's a, a total lack of education. And when, when you're not seeing it, you know, everyone concentrates on, you know, everybody knows, you know, Susan Coleman, you know, October is Breast Health Awareness Month, but how many people know that December 1st is World AIDS Day? And, you know, it's been happening every year for, I, I can't even remember how many years, but it's there. We have specific days, African American AIDS Day, um, Native American AIDS Day, Women and Children AIDS Day. But those days or dates don't get uh, the publicity, I don't think, as other disease processes do. Um, 
even here in in Omaha, there is a debate that just came up about uh, sex education in our public school system. Uh, and I I learned and I had to notice that that we were using thirty year old curriculum, not something that I knew, and it was really a shock to me. I don't have children, so it wasn't something that I really um, was looking for, but kind of a shock to me that that was there. But what where is the role of who in education? Because who should be doing this education? Are parents obligated to do this? Because maybe some people aren't as aware. Are the teachers? Um, should every student mandatorily be put inside of it? Where is that gap in, in sexual education? Well, that's a, a really difficult question. As a parent, I feel like it's primarily my responsibility to teach my children what they need to know about sexual health and how to protect themselves and to protect other people. But I do think the educational system also plays a role in that. And I mean, I, honestly, I don't see how they couldn't or how they shouldn't. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm sure as you've seen uh, inside of this field, you mentioned there's some stigma, but maybe in association with that stigma, um, uh, sex and uh, sexually transmitted diseases great against people's religious views. So how do we, uh, as a society? educate people and do we say hey ignore your religious views 100% and you should be using uh, contraceptives or where where's the gap in there well you absolutely can't do that <laughs> you can't mm-hmm, tell people mm-hmm. to ignore their religious beliefs it's it's personal responsibility or at least that's how i feel about it i think it's a personal responsibility and as a mother of four children i am a sincere advocate of you know use a condom I'd rather you be safe and, you know, not come home with an STD. You know, there's there's worse things to come home with than a baby is what I've told mm-hmm. my children. Mm-hmm. You know, people think, oh, my gosh, you know, teen pregnancy, which is bad in and of itself. But when, you know, you have these incurable diseases that you have to live with for the rest of mm-hmm. your life, there's nothing that you can do about having HIV. There's nothing you can do about having herpes. You can treat the symptoms. But you cannot get rid of the disease. You know, you hear gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis. Those are things that you can get and you get rid of. No big deal. But those are big deals, too, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they all go hand in hand. You you hit on one of the big taboos, I think, that stop a lot of people from talking about this, that, oh, my God, yeah, of course my teenager isn't going to have sex. You know, they're just not going to. And I see, I see you rolling your eyes here. It's like, my teenager's just not going to have sex, you know? It's, it's, it's just not going to happen, so why bother talking to them about it because they're not going to do it? Uh, what do you say to parents who, who, are in, who have teenagers? I don't believe the hype, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> you know, as, you know, in, you know, to be completely transparent, I was a teen mom. And when my mom found out that I was expecting, she was completely shocked. And, you know, I hate to put my sister, you know, out there, but it was like, are you sure it's not her? And, you know, Mm -hmm. are you sure it's this one and not the other one? You know, kids are going to do what kids are going to do. And I think it's our responsibility as their parents to teach them to do it the correct way. You you know, obviously you're not going to put your kid in a car and and tell them not to use a seatbelt because they're not going to get in an accident. You hope that they won't get into an accident, but you want them to be as safe as they possibly can while they're performing any activity. You don't throw them in a pool without having them learn how to swim or you know put floaties on their arms or make sure there's a lifeguard on duty. So why not 
make sure they're the safe, as safe as they could possibly be while they're having sex or if they're having sex, even though that's not what you want. And don't have sex kids. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do, be safe about if it, right? If you do, be safe about it. Um, so walk me through uh, where you think there are gaps in the system or where parts of the system are broken. Let's say that um, I am, um, let's say I'm a 30-year-old man. Uh, I find out that I've contracted HIV. Uh, I go to the doctor. I find that out. What are the next steps of my journey that could be challenging after that? Uh, just receiving proper care. Uh, I work, well, I no longer work there, but I worked at the HIV clinic here in Omaha. And it's, we have patients who come from Grand Island. We have patients who come from Lincoln, pretty much all over you know, Iowa. They're coming to Omaha for care because there aren't a lot of doctors who actually have the knowledge to be able to prescribe the medications. And it's, it's really not that difficult. It's just, you know, one more thing that you, you need to learn and, and read up on. It's, you know, you can always call and get the information. You can consult an HIV professional. But I think that's the most difficult thing. So 30-year-old male, you find out you, you have HIV, then you have to get connected to care. So like I said, the um, UNMC HIV clinic is a really, really great place. Uh, we have some of the best doctors there in the region. So you, have, you actually have to show up. That's the other thing. We have a lot of patients who are lost to follow-up. So getting this diagnosis, it, it can be devastating. You know, it's not a death sentence like it used to be. You know, people are living with HIV for 20, 30, 40 years. Well, not 40 years yet, but, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're living, they're surviving, they're doing things that everybody else does. You wouldn't even know some of the people who have HIV, which is how it should be. But there's such a stigma attached to it that getting people to actually show up for the care, that's that's the hard part. Getting mm-hmm. people to actually talk about it is one of the things that always bothered me about working at the HIV clinic. We're not on campus. You know, un- the University of Nebraska is a huge campus. We're not on campus. We're kind of hidden you know, away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's great for the patients. But then again, it's not great for the patients, in my opinion. It's, why are we hidden? Why aren't we on campus like everyone else? You know, the oncology clinic is there. If people have cancer, they can go right there, you know, kidney disease, you know, whatever. But we're off hidden away. And I think that's because of the stigma. And unfortunately, People who don't have HIV have really, really strong feelings about people who do have HIV. Mm-hmm. Something, I, and I, I made a big assumption uh, even to saying, um, what, do I, what do I do once I've been connected? Because for some people, may not know the symptoms, uh, right. and they might not know, okay, I think I might have HIV. Okay. What do I, where do I even go? Like, what do I even do? What is an HIV test like? Are they going to draw like a pint of blood or are they going to have to like <laughs> dig out bone marrow? No, um, not even. So let's, let's say that I found that I'm coming to you as a friend and I say, Hey, I, I think I might have HIV. What, what do I do? Well, my first question to you is, have you had unprotected sex? Have you had unprotected sex with someone who is known to have HIV or, or do you suspect that the person that you had unprotected sex with has HIV? And the thing is, it's, sorry, I'm trying to, think of how to word this mm-hmm. um symptoms it can be something like the flu you may think you had a, a cold may and comes and goes and you're fine and until it gets into the advanced stages you may not even know for a while 
you may never know unless you actually get tested. Unless someone comes back and says, you know what, I, I tested positive, you need to go get tested too. Mm-hmm. So I know because I, I um, once upon a time, they were, when I was in getting uh, checked out, they asked, would you like to do HIV AIDS test? And I said, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, a prick on the finger, right? Prick on the finger, blood test. Um, Actually, we can do mouth swaps too. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I mean, they just wanted my blood. I yeah. don't know. Why. I, mean, well, that, I mean, that's you know, uh-huh. that, that's the best way to find out, or mm-hmm. that's one of the better ways. But there, there's a number of ways you can do that. Sorry, go ahead. No. So, um, let's uh, best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find out. I well, I shouldn't say best case in this, but I do find out that I have HIV. Um, possibly AIDS, and I decide, uh, okay, I am going to get treatment. Um, is that a simple process to get treatment, or how? what does that look like with insurance companies? Well, Assuming the, one the medication insurance. is not cheap, mm-hmm. but there are assistance programs, the AIDS Drug Assistance Program, um, ADAP, that, and there are some really great counselors who work at the UNMC Specialty Care Center who can help with that. If you come in for treatment there is no reason that you will not get treatment we make sure that everyone who comes in and wants treatment gets treated and my specialty in the clinic area was actually research and so there were um, drug trials or there Mm -hmm. are drug trials there's Mm -hmm. tons of drug trials that um, we actually enroll patients in and the medication is completely free and you just have to come in and and get checked you know you come in for a study visit Every some of them are every month. There's a new drug. There's a uh, excuse me, new injection drug that we're uh, testing right now, which is actually looking really, really good. Um, we've got patients coming in on every four weeks, and then one coming in every eight weeks. Is that's one of the hugest complaints that we have from our patients is, I don't want to be taking a medication every day because then it reminds me that mm. I have HIV every single day. So if we can get this drug approved. One injection once a month or maybe even every two months. How awesome would that be? Mm. So, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's great. Um, yeah, that's that's good to hear. Uh, I think a lot of people have this idea of um, they don't even want to get involved in this because they think that it's such a huge uphill battle and there's no way to navigate it. I know myself um, when dealing, uh, I've had some medical problems in the last in the last few years. It's such a thing to even say, like, oh, I don't even want to deal with all of these because I know that everything's expensive, right? Like, yeah. it feels like everything's expensive, and I don't know if I'm going to get the best care possible. Um, so for people who are concerned about that or maybe at, um, at even the field of medicine in whole or uh, a more community-based um, area like yours... Do you see it as being very accessible right now? Um, it is very accessible. It, if you want to get treatment, you will get treated. It's that simple. And then something I, I noticed you mentioned, so mm-hmm. HIV, AIDS. HIV is the virus. AIDS is the disease process. And, I mean, I don't want to get too technical, mm-hmm. but what we're looking at is the viral load. That's how much of the virus is actually in your blood. Mm-hmm. And once that number is... What we want is for you to be undetectable. Mm-hmm. So that is, it depends on the test, but it's, you know, the lowest number that's de- that's detectable by that particular test. We look at your viral load, and we also look at a CD4 count. And those are what, what 
mostly, I think most people know them as T cells. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have heard that before. Right, you've heard T cells. That once that number drops below two hundred, then you have an AIDS diagnosis. And even if it goes back over a thousand, you always have that AIDS diagnosis. So once it drops below two hundred, you get that diagnosis of AIDS. But I mean, that's that's neither really neither here nor there. But I think that's a, a, a bit of a misconception. People think, oh, once I have HIV, I have AIDS. Not necessarily. If your CD four count stays above two hundred. You may never get AIDS. You you had mentioned that the big stigma was that um, only people who uh, identified as gay or um, had it, it, mostly the idea of a man having sex with another man were yeah. the only people thought to have uh, to have AIDS. Um, so is is there and this is something that I've heard, but I don't I'm not informed at all. Is there uh, a bigger population of people who do identify as LGBTQ that have uh, HIV um, and also is is there a race of people that, that have have that people uh, ethnic identity um, that have that because I now when I think of it I, I have this idea in my head but I just have no clue if there's any validity to that at all or if that's okay. just a big a giant bunch of stereotypes in my head well I think it's let me see the numbers are higher, I would say, in a homosexual male population, but the population where it's actually growing the most is young black males. And then next to that is young black females. So we're actually seeing the numbers increasing in that population, which is you know really sad. And I think, again, it, be, it goes back to lack of education. You know, there's a, a lot of... Um, People who think it's not going to happen to me, you know, young mm-hmm. people think that anyway. But you know, there's you know Douglas County, Nebraska, you know, number one in the country for STD rates, which is ridiculous when you consider the size and you know the populations of other cities that are mm-hmm. much much larger than ours. But you know, when I think I said a little earlier, you know, STDs and HIV they kind of go hand in hand. If you have an STD or an STI, like gonorrhea, chlamydia, or syphilis, you're actually more susceptible to getting HIV or AIDS, and vice versa. And we're seeing a lot of that in the clinic as well. You know, we have patients mm-hmm. who have HIV who are actually coming in with gonorrhea, chlamydia, or syphilis. Mm-hmm. So that means you're having unprotected sex with somebody who may only quote-unquote, have an STI, but now, you know, they're at risk for mm. getting HIV as well. So I, as, even as you speak uh, and you said people just assume, oh, it won't be me, I think about myself as a younger person, mm-hmm. and I never considered that as a possibility, the possibility of getting um, HIV, uh, AIDS. It didn't even occur to me at, at any point in time. So what is... What is the primary tactic of informing people, whether that be adults or uh, do you think that by the time it's adults that we're working too late, should uh, should children learn about this? And what, what are the primary tactics to use now? Education, education, education. Um, one of the things that I, I like to do is go out into the community and, and speak to young adults, but I don't think there's ever a time that we're too old to learn anything or too young to learn anything because, you know, you have these nursing homes with these Mm. older people and, you know, you have more women than men and, you know, 
hate to say it, but, you know, grandma and grandpa are having sex, y'all. <laughs> you know, it's still happening. And so we're actually seeing older adults who, with new diagnoses of HIV. And then, you know, you have kids who, it's so unfortunate, they're so young and they're having sex at 12, 13 years old. They need to be informed. And I think, you know, that's where the, the parents need to come in. And, you know, you can't force the schools, you know, back to that conversation, you can't force the schools to teach the kids what the parents don't want them to know. But, you know, they need this education. It needs to come from somewhere. You said you said uh, no such thing as too young. I think that's really interesting. I've heard, um, and again, this is just the layman, uh, hear this. I heard that you should start talking to kids about sex when they start asking about it. And I thought, oh, that seems, that seems awfully young, you know, <laughs> because I've heard, I've seen kids who are four years old or so, you know, mm-hmm. ask where babies come from. Do you have that conversation with them? Um, and I don't think you'll probably sit a sit three-year-old down and say, like, okay, let me talk to you about <laughs> HIV, AIDS, you know, let right. me have that conversation. So what does that look like for, for kids who are very young? For kids who are very young, I mean, some of them are actually living with it. You know, there there is a lot of children who are being born to HIV-positive moms, and, you know, sometimes that can be prevented if the moms are on medication, and sometimes it can't. And so you have to have these conversations with these kids. But again, that's up to the parents. You know, as a healthcare provider, I can't just say, okay, you know, this is what you're coming in for, little Timmy, because, you know, that's up to their mom. If their mom says, no, I don't want him to know that he's HIV positive, I can't tell him. That's, you know, completely up to his mother. But for my kids, my kids have seen all kinds of pictures, and I'm sure I've scarred them a little bit for Mm -hmm. life, but I... I think we started having those conversations when when I I started having those conversations when my kids hit puberty. And it was, you know, these are the things that are out here. These are the things that can happen to you if, you know, you decide to start having sex. Wow, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> for well, me, it was a lot of fun, but well, not so yeah, much for them. <laughs> I'm sure for them, that's, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. My mom imagine. is talking to me about sex. Yeah. yeah, not even just sex, but probably the the most unsavory, you know, thought of sex. But at least... <laughs> look at this. This is what it'll look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least they're more informed. I guess there, there's the upside to that. So you, you mentioned something. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Um, I think some people want to criminalize this a lot right so it's like the idea of of someone having a child uh who was born hiv positive Mm -hmm. of saying like well is does is that parent punished in any way and then it brought in my mind i've heard in some places that if you knowingly uh have sex with someone while hiv positive you can be prosecuted for that what's the case here in nebraska and do you know particularly around the country what does that look like Uh, i believe there are 33 states where uh it's a criminal act and it's a felony here, or it can be a felony here, and it can be a felony in Iowa. I know of one case for a fact in Iowa. A guy was 25 years old. He was on antiretroviral medications, medications for HIV. His viral load was undetectable, so the likelihood of him passing on the disease was, you know, really, really low. He had a sexual encounter with a gentleman. He did not let the gentleman know that he was HIV positive. They did use condoms, so that makes it, you know, even lower. And once the gentleman found out later on, he was actually prosecuted and sentenced to 25 years. His sentence was eventually commuted, but he had to register as a sex offender, which is, to me, that that's just 
you know, ridiculous. But and the state of Nebraska, it's not criminalized as such. So if you knowingly have sex with someone and you have HIV and they find out later that you knew, you can be prosecuted. I don't know how, you know, I've not heard of any cases in Nebraska. I don't know how, how far it, it'll go within the system, but there are you know, obviously quite a, quite a few people who are having sex knowing that they have HIV and not having protected sex. Mm-hmm. What, what do you tell clients? That say they are sexually active and they have HIV? We have free condoms. We have free lubrication. There is no reason that anybody should be having unprotected sex. And we ask them, we suggest it. We tell them, you know, protect yourself. Use a condom at every, you know, with every sexual encounter. And, you know, it's personal responsibility. You can only tell someone so many times and so often. I mean, we keep telling them. Every every visit, that's what they hear from us. They're on the counter. I even volunteered with condemnation. It's this huge semi came to Omaha. Mm-hmm. We gave out condoms on 76th and Dodge, and I was amazed by the dirty looks. The oh, I don't need those, or you know, mm-hmm. you're going to hell. Shouts <laughs> like I was amazed mm-hmm. just for trying to give out condoms. Wow, uh, I wish I could say I'm surprised, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm truly, truly not surprised. But that that's very unfortunate. So, how about um, a mother who has a child that is HIV positive? If is this does the state get involved at all of that, or is it just seen as um, I don't want to say just an unfortunate thing, or is it treated as a health crisis? Uh, and do they or is there things ways that mothers can get help for that? Well, um, we actually have a, a, a family clinic on Tuesdays, Tuesday afternoon, so moms can bring their babies in. But again, if mom gets on antiretroviral medications early on during her pregnancy, hopefully even before she becomes pregnant, she can have an HIV-negative baby. It can actually happen. But for whatever reason, you, know, you, you can't force people to take medication. And you can all we can do is hope that she brings the baby in for treatment. There's not a whole heck of a lot that can be done. You know, again, there's the drug assistance program, and if you know if the baby needs to be on medication, then it, it can happen. But you can't force someone to give their child medication. That's that's very interesting. I guess that goes in the question also of how much do you want the state involved with your personal medical choices, right. but. But when this um, child, obviously a juvenile, where does the state step in for, for that? So I think that's that's a, a bigger question. So in maybe in medicine as a whole, and again, since you see such a, uh, what you know already is a stigmatized place, beyond education, what are other ways that you think that this is broken? What, what, are, what are things that are getting in the way of, um, of, of medicine? I don't think people are talking about it enough. Um, and it, to me, it all falls back to education. You know, if, if people don't understand, you know, that this is a treatable disease, this is, you know, you can treat it as a chronic disease. You know, people have hypertension and they're on, you know, antihypertensives for the rest of their lives. Well, you're on antiretrovirals for the rest of your lives. And hypertension can kill you too. It can, you know, you can have a stroke and die from your blood pressure being too high. So... It, I don't, I personally, I don't see it as much different than HIV. You know, one's sexually transmitted, one isn't, but, you know, we, we, they can both be treated by medication. Um, 
I, I just don't think that it's talked about enough. You don't hear about it anymore. You know, like you said at the beginning, you know, there was this huge scare and now you don't hear about HIV anymore. When I remember being, gosh, in my 20s, watching The Real World when Pedro, you know, he had HIV positive. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy has HIV and he's on TV and just everyone's reaction to him that were in the house. And not, you don't even see that anymore. You don't really hear about people who have HIV. You know, Magic Johnson, there's a mm-hmm. this urban legend that he doesn't really have HIV. <laughs> and people, he was paid to say that he had it because he's not been sick. Like, Magic Johnson has, the, I, you know, he gets the best medicine that there is. I had not is. heard that. I had not heard that. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt people have said that. Yes. It's, you know, but you really don't hear about, you know, Charlie Sheen. You heard about it for you know, mm. a hot minute. It was a hot topic, and now it's it's kind of gone by the wayside. You don't hear about it anymore. And you mentioned that that even happened at the at the presidential level. Let's mm-hmm. say that um, you at the time you were the president of the United States at the time. What would have been the appropriate reaction? At uh, least talk about it. At least talk about it. His, you know, like um, President Obama. I commend him when he was here. What was it? February. And he spoke, and he, you know, one of the, or not when he was here, but one of his, uh, one of the points he made in his speech was, you know, he wants to have HIV eradicated one day, and you know, I, I think it can happen. I'm hoping that it can happen one day, but just talk about it. You know, let's get some funding. Let's do some things for it. You know, we have all these Coleman runs, and you know, I don't want to pick on breast cancer. I don't mm-hmm. have a problem with breast cancer, but mm-hmm. you know, you have all of these these um, activities geared towards other disease processes, but you really don't hear much about what happens for HIV. And they're out there, they happen, but they're just not publicized. I think, like you said, it's because of that stigma. Mm -hmm. And maybe when someone gets breast cancer, people say, oh, how unfortunate this happened, you got breast cancer. But when someone is diagnosed with HIV, they say, well, you know, this is what you worked for. This is your punishment. This is what you get for daring to have unprotected sex and so this is all your fault and if you wouldn't have done that then you wouldn't be where you are now right and that's it seems really really unfortunate it is and you know no matter how how you educate some people you'll just never get the result that you'd like is you know world aids day i set up a table at my church every year for world aids day for the last three years and, you know, people come over, they want to see the free stuff. You know, I got my, my little yeah. red pins. Oh, what's that for? Oh, this is for HIV AIDS World, you know, World AIDS Day. And, oh, mm. I don't want that. Why not? Yeah. You don't have breast cancer, but you take the breast cancer pin. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, you're not going to get it just by wearing the pin. This is just in support of those people who do have it. Mm-hmm. I realize uh, having this conversation that there's, I don't know the truth of a lot of myths or not. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe you can clarify uh, on some of these. So one of the myths that I've heard, uh, and I think this one is false, um, but you can tell me because I know it's one that I definitely heard growing up, is that you can get HIV from sitting on a toilet seat that someone's HIV positive was. No. No. So, okay, good, that one. Uh, you can get HIV by coming into contact with the blood of someone who is HIV positive. Well, that is how it's, it's spread through blood and body fluids, but it depends on, on what you mean by contact. So mm-hmm. if you you have a friend who's HIV positive and your friend cuts himself shaving and you grab a towel to, to try to help you know mm-hmm. block the blood and you get a little bit of blood on your hand unless you have an open wound and there's a lot 
of blood from him to you, you know, a blood, a fluid exchange, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's, that was my next one is, is that um, people in healthcare are uh, always in danger of, uh, since they work with patients who have uh, HIV, that they're in danger of, of getting it just by being in constant contact with that blood. Um, well, if, if you're in healthcare, you should be using personal protective equipment. Everybody in mm-hmm. healthcare knows what PPE is. <laughs> you use gloves, wash your hands, you know, any fluids, whether you know they're HIV positive or not, or they have hepatitis C, you know, we're at risk for a, a, lots of things. It's not just HIV. So just making mm-hmm. sure you're using, you know, good hand hygiene and you're using your personal protective mm-hmm. equipment and you should be okay. Okay. Uh, you can get HIV by kissing someone who has, who is HIV positive. Again, um, the, you know it's passed through blood and body fluids, but that would have to be a, a lot of dangerous, messy kissing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I say dangerous as in you know they're biting and uh-huh. and blood and fluid exchanges. You know, it's it's highly unlikely. Not completely unlikely, just because there are body fluids that are being exchanged, but saliva. Yeah. And so, yeah, and that, and I guess that kind of goes. I should let up with this one before. That is that uh, you can get HIV from uh, using like the same fork or spoon that someone uh, who had HIV uh, was using. You know, unless you know they've got a huge open sore in their mouth and they're bleeding copiously, and then you're taking mm. the bloody fork and putting it in your mouth. I'm laughing because, you know, I've heard these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's, I'm sure for you it seems incredulous, but, and in my mind, I've, I've been thinking, of course that's not true, but then I thought, or, or is it, right? right because even right. myself. You never know unless you ask. Uh-huh. Yeah, so hopefully that this is helpful to the listeners because I'd like to think of myself who is somewhat knowledgeable about the world, and I realize that this is actually a subject that I have so little knowledge on, so maybe I've, you know... I whether I failed or a system has failed to to teach me, I just don't I just don't know that much. So, do you think that school should be forced to talk about this? Oh, because I mean, it depends on what I think. Public schools should talk about it. I I think it should be in the curriculum. So that would be a yes if you don't want your child to hear about it. You know, we have a ton of parochial schools in the area that your children can go to. I remember health class, which was the same curriculum that they were using until recently. Mm. And, you know, we briefly touched on some sexually transmitted diseases, but not very much. And, you know, I don't think I learned very much. You know, most of what I learned, I learned from my friends, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. All right. La- last myth, because uh, it's one that I think is very is very prevalent, which is that if someone gets a diagnosis of HIV, um and or AIDS, then they become uh, a social pariah. They just become a loner, no no friends, no no loved ones, uh, mostly get shunned by a lot of people. In your experience, what, what do you see in, in that? I don't see that at all. I think that is a personal choice. If they choose to be a pariah, if they choose to be a loner, that's that's their personal choice. But no, I, I, have, I know people who are HIV positive. I have friends who are HIV positive. And they live their lives just like anyone else looking at someone. You can't look at someone and, and tell that they have HIV. So, you know, how in the world would they be alone just because of that? So I would say no. 
do do you see a lot of people who aren't HIV positive get in uh, further relationships, whether that be sexual or or otherwise? Yes, we have. Um, there's a medication that people who are they we call them uh, discordant relationships. So you have one person who's HIV positive and one person who is not, and the person who is not can actually take medication for either pre-exposure prophylaxis, so you can take it to make sure that you don't get it, it'll, or it'll decrease the likelihood that you'll get it. And there are instances of post-exposure prophylaxis. So if someone has unprotected sex with someone and then maybe find out later or they believe that that person may be HIV positive, there's medication that you can take that can possibly help prevent you from actually getting HIV. So, I mean, there's... There's lots of relationships. There's, you know, a mom, like I said, mentioned before, a mom having a baby. You decide you ha- you have HIV, you want to have a baby. You can have a baby, and you can have a baby who possibly does not have HIV just by taking your medication every day. That's fascinating. That's something that I had no clue yeah. until until this day. And there's, I think about it, there's just not that much awareness out there. And like mm-hmm. you said, not for lack of trying, because I know that there's organizations who um, that is their mission uh, and they're the ones who were trying to get the message out. But I think also, uh, if I'm being 100% honest, I really think like, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm never going to get, I'm never going to get HIV, right? And that is the, yeah. and I don't think there's any, been any point in my life where I've thought I'll probably get HIV or it's even a possibility. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I hear you when you say education because I realize that I'm I'm so uneducated inside all of this. So... Since we're talking about this as a, as a broken system in the healthcare, let's fix it. So let's say that you have, I think every person who backs a cause is a dream, uh, you have unlimited funding on uh, whatever staff you want and whatever time you want. What do you do to start fixing this system? Oh, wow. <laughs> what a dream. That's, yeah. a, that's <laughs> a heck of a dream. Oh, my goodness. I think I would take all my money and pour it into Nebraska AIDS Project (laughs) because I think that what they're doing, they are doing a phenomenal job as far as, you know, getting the word out, getting education out there. And I I would basically, if I couldn't give the money to them or if they weren't in existence, I would do exactly what it is that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I would um, do community events. I would uh, buy space on TV. I'd buy ads on TV, ads on buses, um, billboards just to, to get that information out there. I'd speak to as many organizations as they would allow me to speak to, just to get that information out there. So part of, part of it is even just getting the conversation started about yes. this. Because no one wants to talk about it. Who wants, who wants to talk about HIV? Oh my gosh, it's, you know, oh, I don't have it. I don't know anyone who has it. Yeah, actually you might. You know, I saw um, a performer do a one-man show once, um, named Daniel Beatty and and part of his show uh, where he was doing a character was about a little girl and at the end it's revealed, spoiler alert if anyone goes see his stuff, but it revealed <laughs> to me that she is HIV positive. And I remember the, the kind of consensus of the people I went with was like, oh, that, why do they have to bring that in? You know, why do they have to bring that in? It's like, okay, the rest of the things, talking about poverty, talking about gang violence, we get it, but then it's like, why, why throw AIDS in there, right? It just felt kind of why do we have to talk about this? And I and I remember at the time thinking that was 
interesting and even saying like, well, why not? You know, why, why isn't that a thing to talk about? So, and this, this show was really aimed for around adolescence. So probably people uh, in high school. How do we start talking to people or kids in grade school? Do we start in grade school? Do we start in middle school? Do we start in high school? And what tactics do we use for that? I think grade school would be a really great place to talk about it. Just I remember being um, a kid and hearing about Ryan White. And I don't know you know, if it's just you know, my personality, but HIV never scared me, if that makes sense. It just always... It was always something that in, that I was interested in. It's like, you know, why is this happening? And, you know, why is nothing being done? You know, how, how can this just keep going? And there was a really great movie on HBO called um, And the Band Played On. Mm. And it talks about the discovery of, of the virus and, and just the early days and, and how things were not getting done. And that just kind of piqued my interest. And I think it could do the same thing for other people. You know, there's, I think things go in cycles. You know, right now, you know, everybody's worried about the Zika virus. And, you know, years ago, remember H1N1? H1N1 is exactly what I yeah, thought. Yeah, you know, I, and people wearing masks. Day, yeah. And, yeah, you know, what what happened to all those things? You know, uh-huh. it's, it's kind of like, oh, and especially with, you know, on social media, you know, my social media page is always, you know, I, I tend to fill it with, with things about HIV. I put facts out there, mm. you know, especially around World AIDS Day. But... It's, you know, again, H1N1, are we not even worried about that anymore? Mm-hmm. It's still there. Yeah. You know, it's not gone. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not worrying about it anymore because it's it's not a, a huge deal. And I don't understand why HIV is not more of a deal than what it is. Well, I, this is a conversation that I feel like could go on forever. Um, this is, it's so deep. And it, it feels like I am, you know, even at this point in my life, I, I haven't had, I don't think, any conversations. Real, I think this might be the first conversation I've ever really had about HIV, uh, those intentional conversations, so I realize just how little I've done uh, to really contribute to the education of this, because now I think about it, I've never talked to my friends about this. Maybe I know someone who is HIV positive, and I would never know, um, and because it's not something that, that uh, I've really educated myself on. So I thank you personally for even just shining a light on this for me. This helps me grow as a person. Um, and hopefully it's something that I think about uh, in, in my further practice and in, in talking to people and educating. So, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, so um, again, this has been an interview with Angela Felton Coleman. I'm pronouncing that correct, aren't I? Yes. All right. Okay. Is there anyone, any group you'd like to plug? Um, uh, again, Nebraska AIDS Project. They do a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, if you think you may have HIV, they would be. They are a great resource. And even if you don't, if you just want more information or if you want to volunteer, they can always use volunteers. They're a great place. Um, and also the UNMC Specialty Care Center. They're wonderful, wonderful people, really, really great care. If you have HIV, if you've fallen out of care, there it's a great place to go. All right. Thank you so much. Again, this has been Emilio Herrera with the Social Justice Education Network. And um, thank you, Angela, for being here today. You are very welcome. All right. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Yeah, see. All right, that's it. We did it. All right, keep talking. <laughs>